Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel. We allow these kids to say that to promote a beer, people at college might start drinking. <laughs> Pete Thamel. Sorry, Dan, you're so far behind me in the standings, I can't hear you. Can you speak oh, up? Yeah. I just can't hear you from all the way down there. With SI's Pat Forty. Hey, on the scale of zero to Steve Adazio, it was about <laughs> middle of the pack, I guess you'd say. Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. I welcome to the pod. As we do at the start of every Overreaction Monday episode, let's get right to who did well and race for the case. <laughs> oh, this is this is bullshit. Unbelievable. <laughs> I just I haven't checked. I haven't checked how everyone's done, but let me yeah. let me peruse the standings here. Oh, someone went six and zero, oh, and it wasn't any of you guys. How about that week you went zero oh and six? Did yeah. that lead the pod? I, I don't think it did. I don't think Six. Sorry, Dan, you're and, so far oh. behind me in the standings, I can't hear you. Can you speak oh, up? Yeah. I just can't hear you from all the way down there. I think He's I'm 17 games place, above 500. Pete. How many games behind is he? Getting closer. Getting closer. Chip, chip, <laughs> chip, 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 chip away at that lead. Chip. I mean, I went standings. five and one. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be embarrassed about going five and one. It was a good week for all. Four and two for Pat and Sully. Pat screwed up the lock of the week parlay with his uh what did you pick? Yeah. BYU? I picked BYU. I didn't screw it up. Their free safety did a dropped an interception. <laughs> he could have returned for a touchdown. Pat has Ridiculous. never lost a pick. It's the players who have not been devout to his genius. And I agree with that. His pick. <laughs> what I liked yesterday when I was looking at the pick, I, I did check the scoreboard, and I was like, you know what? I like all the coaches involved in my picks. Like, I feel good about my picks because I'm not sitting there hoping that, you know, this, this brain-dead coach doesn't screw up this time. <laughs> it's a good feeling. Yeah, you didn't pick right. an interim head coach like this dummy. No, I was like, it got a little dicey. I had, I had, I had Notre Dame. I mean, I, I knew I got late. I was four and zero. Then Ohio State was going to kill Indiana. That was that would have my lock of the year. Yeah, but then Notre Dame, you know, it gets a little wobbly. All of a sudden, and then uh, USC misses the extra point, so it's eight. We have seven on our numbers, so I'm feeling good there. But. But I'm like, you know what? I got a good coach. And I just roll down the field, score a touchdown. It's like, we're good. We're good. We're not going to sit there and throw three, like, three, uh, let's take a shot deep all three times here and, you know, blow it right. and have a punt block. You know, it's like, all right, Brian Kelly, I feel pretty good with it. Uh, and that's, yeah. let's, Would let's, you see what Dante Williams tried to do before halftime? Like, that was sideline mismanagement. They, like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, bad, yeah. Bad, bad. yeah. <laughs> they basically were like running to the line of scrimmage, didn't know what was going on, couldn't spike the ball. They were in field goal range and they just couldn't get their act together. They spiked they ran tried to spike it from the shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> Is that bad? The, Is that bad? Hey, on the scale of zero to Steve Adazio, it was about <laughs> middle of the pack, I guess you'd say. He was a dude. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was a dude. Steve Adazio. All right. And this is the one I want to get to first because we are a negative-based podcast, right? We we are not a positive-based, so we'll get to the positives. But Clemson, you know, as much as we talked about all the uncertainty in college football, Georgia, Alabama, and and Ohio State are very much likely, if not, like they certainly all control their destiny to make the playoff and are very, very likely to get there. Clemson has fallen apart. uh, And the loss to Pitt, third loss of the year is we'll get to Pitt. played a great game congrats to them and all that but 
Clemson doesn't look good at all. It, it, it was never really that much in doubt. You know, they could easily lose again. They got wake in a few weeks. They no, Nothing set there. Three losses. I mean, this could be a four or five loss team. We will see at the end. But people say, well, you got a down year. And that is true. But the really great programs rarely have real big down years. Uh, certainly when the coach is in the middle. I do. Notre Dame went, what, three and nine once, Pete? Was that... Like they, four and eight. I believe under Brian Kelly, they went four and eight. Uh, okay. And I believe it was the year after they made the title game and got trucked by Bama. Does that sound right, Pat? Might have been two years after. Let me look. I'm looking it up real quick. You look there. it up. And he rallied them. And that was, to me, one of the great signs of how good of a program he had built at Notre Dame. Mark D'Antonio had a really bad year and got Michigan State back doing very well, but never quite hit that. Brian Kelly literally hit the bottom. You know, it's like it's like the stock market on COVID and it just sprung back up. That's really hard to do. Yeah, that was actually it was in 2016. So it was kind of yeah, it was a bit after. Okay. Yeah, 12. They very, made it very hard to do. Now, Clemson's yeah. not that bad. Clemson's going to win more than four games. But how where are you looking at right now? This is overaction Monday about the Clemson football program. You know, this is not good. Yeah, oh, it's not good. I still think it's fixable. We've talked a bit, quite a bit on the podcast about the offensive line is is the the first place where they are really weak, and that is harder to fix. But they still should be able to do that, at least get it up to functional. And then the question at quarterback, is DJ Uyunglele really good enough to be the guy? They finally put him on the bench for a little while against Pittsburgh. Uh, but he still played the majority of the game. I mean, he has just not had a good season at all, at all. His his efficiency rating is 102.8. That is really bad for a starting quarterback. And it's not like, you know, it's not a service academy quarterback where you're throwing it six times a game. They're throwing it plenty, and they're getting nowhere with that. So, they, I mean, look, they are still bringing in great recruits. They've got a, a high-level quarterback coming in from Austin, Texas, Cade Klubnik, uh, one of those guys that went to – all the elite quarterback camps and really shined, stood out there. So they have talent. They are involved in the Arch Manning uh, chase. And boy, that's been interesting to watch as uh, Kirby Smart sent his, spent his open date Friday watching Arch play in New Orleans. And then Arch went to Ole Miss to see Uncle Eli's number get retired. But I, look, I, I still think this will be a blip more than a trend for Clemson. I, I think that they, they're they just recruiting too well and they're too accustomed to, to putting together good teams. They know how to do it. So I, I don't think this will last forever. And plus, they're still in the ACC. It's not like they're just going to be overwhelmed by the competition here. Overreaction Monday. This reminds me a little bit of Texas post-Colt McCoy. When the diamondism left the quarterback position and the dominance left the quarterback position and the ability to erase mistakes was gone from that position. And all of a sudden your reality was really laid bare. And it'd be, look at the difference between Notre Dame cobbling things together this year and figuring out a way to be six and one or whatever they are and be in the top 10 and Clemson just kind of falling apart. And I, I think this is what I'm looking for out of Dabo going forward. Dabo has been defiant in his own beliefs and his own way of doing things. He said after the game, I saw a quote uh, out of his presser, like, we're not changing staff. He's really stayed away from the portal. I can't stand on the table and say Clemson hasn't taken anyone from the portal, but they certainly haven't been involved in any memorable portal acquisitions. Would you agree with that, Pat? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. 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 Like, this is the pivot point where we are now, where Dabo needs to be open to change. Go pay a line coach a million dollars a year. Go get... Justin Fry from UCLA, or go find the best guy on the board, bring him in, and you you have a problem there. And because he's your buddy and because he's a good guy, that all doesn't matter. And because he helped you get there, that doesn't matter. When Dan mentioned the, the, the Brian Kelly 2016 reboot, Brian Kelly, his best friend was his strength coach. They stood in each other's weddings. Their kids were best friends, like the whole thing. Brian Kelly got cold-blooded, and that was really hard for him to do when he looks back. 
But that's how his tenure lasted long enough for him to pass Newt Rockney. And that's how he was able to evolve and build it to where it is now, where it's one of the 10 best, certainly five best, probably right in that neighborhood programs in the country because he was nimble and he was depth and he adjusted. I don't know if Dabo has that. I mean, he's a guy who's done it his way and he's made it really, really big his way. But if I'm the administrators at Clemson, I'm nervous right now that he's going to continue to try to do it his way, that he's not going to be open to evolving and changing because that's, and again, it has served him really well. He makes nine, 10 million bucks a year. He's won a pair of national titles. He has built the thing into a top five juggernaut. But the thing about Saban that's made him elite is how cold-blooded he's been in shuffling coordinators. And I mean, he he basically chucked aside Brian Dayball. Brian Dayball is like the best coordinator in the NFL right now, but he didn't fit. You're gone. Next, next. Like, there has to, there is an element of callousness if you're going to operate on one of these jobs. If Dabo's going to go into another decade there where he's really rolling high, he's going to have to make a few pivot points in how he runs that program. It's uh, it's a little bit of a battle for him, no question. It's not ripcord panic uh, yet, but problem for him is he built, uh, Coach William Christopher built a juggernaut, and the juggernaut, what was the line about the the tiger, Pat, you had? Ride that tiger at LSU. Yeah. It's great when you're riding the tiger, but then the tiger ends up tiger and eats you. Yeah, and don't fall they off. Got a, Clemson's yeah. a tiger, too. And yeah. uh, I don't blame Dobble for being like, hey, man, nobody thought we'd be this good. Nobody thought I'd be this good. You know, little old Clemson, little old Clemson, little old Coach Sweeney. But and he, and he turned it into this unbelievable thing. But clearly, it's it's really hard to have that level of quarterback play for that long uh, with Deshaun Watson and, and Trevor Lawrence and, and then have it uh, and then try to come back. So look, he's yeah. got a quarterback coming. O-line is a problem because you can't just recruit. You can't recruit your way out of that. That takes a couple of years. They're going to get great players and he's But yeah, does he fill in? I mean, when you look at these other schools, they're all doing it. Funny line that I think may come back up for, for uh, coach Sweeney is he a couple of years ago during the pink out or one of their pink, whatever it was to, uh, you know, raise awareness for um, breast cancer, breast cancer and, and raise money. He said he uh, he had this great pink blazer. He actually rocked it pretty good. <laughs> uh, he said it was uh, 49 bucks. He bought it at Belks. This thing was 49 at Belks. If anyone needs one, shout out to Belks, uh, the department store. Uh, then he said, um, I love them, but I don't want to go to their bowl. <laughs> The Belk Bowl in Charlotte, which routinely has, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> coach, <laughs> might they're, start they're, the they're season. trending in- toward that level of bowl. <laughs> I don't think the Belk Bowl exists anymore, right? Isn't it the Duke's Mayo Bowl now? Oh, is that's, that it? All right. I think so. But still, yes, that's the, that's the kind of the level bowl they could end up looking at. We'll see where this goes. Pete, I wanted to circle back real quick to what you said, and you're right about Brian Kelly likes saying, look, we got to we got to cut bait. We got to change things significantly. Two things there. First, he, they did fall all the way apart, which made it easier, I think, to like you just had to do it when you go four and eight. If, if Clemson goes eight and four and Dabo's is stubborn and you are 100 percent correct, he is stubborn and set in his ways. It may be tougher to push him to that point. But also. Brian had an administrator who could be his ally, but also be his boss in uh in Jack Swarbrick and could tell him we have to change things. Maybe Dan Radakovich can do that with Dabo, but we'll see. You know, I mean, it, it might help when you need, when you have somebody that can nudge you or push you to the point you have to change something, not, Hey, maybe we should think about changing something. And I think Dabo has like 11 years and $286 million left on his contract. <laughs> it's not really that much, <laughs> but the amount guaranteed, like certainly if he doesn't want to change, <laughs> they really you know, contractually can't do much about that. But let's play scheduling uh, Yoda for a minute here. So they have Florida State at home. You'd think they win. They go to Louisville. I think that's a toss up. Louisville actually looked pretty good on Saturday. They will beat. Your Connecticut Huskies, Dan, on Saturday, November 13th. Wake Forest and Clemson now. That's an interesting game. Like, uh, Wake's intriguing, and they're gonna they're in first place in the uh, in the ACC Coastal. Clemson, if you go game by game against Wake in recent seasons, has rung their bell pretty Killed. good. So I don't – I'm not going to sit here and say Wake's going to be favored in that game or anything, but that's a game that was an afterthought for Clemson for years that is now a five-alarm concern – um, and then they finished with South Carolina, who just stinks. So you could conceivably 
see them. I, I don't see them losing more than one game the rest of the way. Nine and three Just, or eight and four. Yeah, yeah exactly. Even because they're even because their defense is still pretty darn good. And I mean, you think there was that just brutal pick six by DJ on the on the shovel pass like they and Pitt has a nice offense. Kenny Pickett had a great day and I'm sure we'll get into him later. But I I think just on their defense alone and they've had a ton of injuries too. their their center Brockhorst went out. Uh, Brzee's been out like they've you know, they've had elite elite players. Justin Ross really just has never found himself. He he's never that guy. We remember streaking down the field in Santa Clara, you know, running the tide ragged. That, that, that guy just hasn't come back. And he obviously had a spine injury. That's that's different than a, you know, a, an ankle injury and in, in everything. And he was such a resplendent talent. You hope like heck he can he can find it again. And, and these things take time. But I'm going to end on Clemson with a little bit on DJ. I wrote about this in takeaways like he's been bad. Like there's no question he's been bad. And his talent has not met production yet. Now, if you look at some of the quarterbacks who starred this weekend, they are guys who, you know, overcame a bunch of adversity and weren't instant starters. And, and I guess my point in this is let's just not like toss DJ away and call him a bust as a as a sophomore who has started, you know, nine, 10 games, something like that. There's clearly growth that needs to happen. And I, I'm not naive or Pollyannish and I, I'm not blaming the coaching staff for not there. There's two way here. He, he struggles to process. He struggles to read. I've had NFL scouts tell me that who've studied Clemson. I've had opposing coaches tell me that who've played Clemson. Like there is a component that needs to get distinctly better. But I, I do think it's a little bit, it's fixable there too. Like there is a career arc left for a five-star to come in, have some success, struggle for a patch and then still figure it out. So I'm not ready to just like cast him aside. It will be interesting because he's been such a star, right? NIL and all that stuff. His dad has been a relentless promoter, advocate, guy who's really pushed to the limits in the in the NIL scene. Right, right now with DJ, it's going to take patience. It's going to take patience from him. It's going to take patience from the coaching staff. And it's going to take some real development, like the kind of development – uh, on the really early stage that Clemson didn't see in his last two quarterbacks. So w- what I wrote Sunday was what we know for sure about DJ right now is he is not going to have this sun-kissed, linear, drama-free trajectory like Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence did. And that's okay. Those guys are generationally good quarterbacks. If you had to do top five quarterbacks in college football the last generation, those two are two of them. So he is not that. We know that for sure now. But I just think tossing him aside – it, there's there's plenty of room for him to grow, develop. His path is just not going to be a, a linear one. Do you do you agree with that path? Like, am I being naive um, to think well, there's still yeah, some no, good there? No, I mean, I wouldn't. I would not say oh, he's a bust or anything like that by yeah. any means. I, that 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 would be premature. But boy, he's going to have to go a long way. And if I'm Clemson, it's an open quarterback competition in the fall. I mean, it's like whoever's the guy. I mean, DJ this year is not in the top 100 in pass efficiency. Bo Nix, who we've we've you know kind of <clears throat> pointed out is is a at best a highly erratic quarterback has a twenty eight point higher efficiency rating than than DJ does more they haven't scored twenty points in regulation yet this season and that's not all on the quarterback but obviously it comes to roost a lot on the quarterback there, there's just he can do it I am sure he does have the physical skills but yeah there's going to have to be a ton of work put in to to show that he can be a productive winning at a high-level Clemson quarterback. And does he have to suck it up and, and be more of a runner? You know, none of these kids want to yeah. run, right? Like, but, I mean, he certainly is physically gifted. He's certainly athletic enough to run. Um, does that have to become more, and I didn't chart plays against Pitt, but the general thought from watching Clemson this year is that QB run game is something they do as an accoutrement, not a main course. And does running have to become a main course to give a dual threat? They they clearly have had injuries at tailback, and they have a they have a terrible offensive line. So you have to you have to maybe evolve what your expectation is of how your career would look at this point to to win. Because if you keep losing, you will become a bust eventually. Pete, you are on this podcast to chart plays. Okay, so step it up. Okay, I mean, what the? Hey, what we got to give chart credit plays? for the quote from Kenny Pickett after the game. I can't believe we haven't brought that up yet. We're, we're going to get in the pit. We're getting a pit. Did anyone assume you would chart plays during a game? Well, I was just like, do I <laughs> you don't apologize for that? He ran four zone reads in the first yeah. half. Like, you know, if you're looking for that world. podcast. We ain't it. Yeah, okay, we ain't it. <laughs> Good God, I'm cracking Belk Bowl jokes around here. The <laughs> damn thing doesn't even exist. 
All we right, can't let's spell pro football focus or whatever it is. Let's know. switch it to uh, I subscribe, but it's, I, it's a great product. But let them yes. do the work. Let them do the work for you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> pro football focus is phenomenal. Oh, they're great. great. Yeah. Great product. Worth every penny. But yeah, they'll they'll handle it. I just check it out. I'll check it out later. <laughs> All right, you mentioned him, Kenny Pickett, fifth year senior at uh, Pitt. Huge day yesterday. Uh, has had uh, a great a great season. Panthers are six and one, uh, rolling along, staring down Wake Forest. Uh, you know, look, they still got Carolina, they still got Virginia, but I guess we're, we're not going to overlook anyone when you're pit. They're staring down Wake Forest in a very interesting ACC championship. Pat Narduzzi, terrific coach, it's really one of the key assistant to Mark D'Antonio at Michigan State, building that up. And he has built Pitt up, and he's got a fifth-year senior. Most guys I knew that hung around college five years were looking for for beer on Saturday night, <laughs> and so wasn't Kenny. <laughs> he wouldn't say what brand until he got an NIL deal, which is somehow illegal because, of course, we can't have the NCAA cannot allow a twenty-something-year-old uh, legal drinking age to admit he drinks beer on college campus. And he- heaven forbid <laughs> that Pitt is probably like a Bud Light school too. You know that the, the the school can collect a check from Bud Light, but wow. you got Yingling, you got Iron City Lager. There's good options for for NIL for Kenny. If if we allow these kids to say they they, they to promote a beer, people at college might start drinking. <laughs> this would be terrible. What? The societal problems we would have if our students actually started drinking because our quarterback had one. Anyway, you talked to him, Pete, after the game. It was a, a great game for uh, for Pitt. A very uh, very exciting. I hope they. I hope the fans come out and really. The, the, the thing with Pitt, their problem is you know they got to play in a pro stadium off campus. They get that thing rocking the rest of the year would just be great because it's like if not now when like you got to go to these games. They got they got Miami coming in. Uh, you know. Games at noon, you'll be home in time for trick-or-treating and all that. I guess it's only the 30th. But I don't know. Pete, Pete what, what did he say last night? So I was uh, I was watching the end of the game, and uh, credit Kenny Pickett, because there's a difference between a 23-year-old college you know, quarterback and a 19-year-old college quarterback. He uh, he did the post-game interview with Molly McGrath and uh, said he was going to have a cold one. And it was almost like he and Molly McGrath were in college together. Like, they were old friends. You know what I mean? Like, and they well could have been. He's been around so long. So, the uh, he was just like, yeah, Molly. You know, like, like just, you know, like, it, like, like you see, like. snap? Like, what's your. <laughs> what's <laughs> <that>? <laughs> he was like, no, it's like when you see these, like, uh, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady with uh, Michelle Tafoya. Like they've been right. doing these interviews for ten years. They talk about because <laughs> you know they know each other because they've been hanging out for that long. That's what Kenny Pickett was like with Bob Grant. He's like, yeah, we do have a cold one, Molly. Thanks so much. <laughs> so <laughs> truly sensing what the Yahoo readers want, I uh, I texted our, our our friend and pod listener EJ Borghetti, um, who really Legend. should have been busy trying to get our our pod hero Tim Salem the Broyles Award, the Pit tight end coach, who our longtime <laughs> listeners will know how much we uh, how much we we value us some some tips. So anyway, EJ was very kind to put Kenny on the phone because I had to ask the question. Dan can't be the only one who's earning Pulitzers here for his Ames Water Expose. I had to find out what Kenny was going to go drink on a Saturday. So I asked him, and he said a beer for sure, but he didn't want to. He didn't want to tell me what kind, which is which, which is fine. But anyway, I talked to Kenny for five minutes, and he had just a really nice way about him and effusiveness. He talked about his decision to come back. He said he was 50-50 until 24 hours. He thought he was going to go to the NFL draft, and he clearly made a gangbusters good decision. I texted uh, a couple scouts on Saturday night. I texted Mike Tannenbaum, the old Dolphins GM, who does a lot of draft stuff for ESPN, and one of the national scouts basically said he had picked as a third-day guy last year. And if you're a third-day guy, you know, everyone thinks, oh, go in the fourth round. It is That is a crapshoot. If you're a third-day guy, you might as well think you're not getting drafted. I mean, I really think like this, once you get out of those first three rounds, there's no certainty in projection. So would Kenny Pickett have gotten drafted? Probably. But at this point, as we start looking at this really strangest quarterback class in all the years I've been doing it, Kenny Pickett's in the conversation and will continue to insert himself in the conversation for uh, for for a higher uh, for a higher spot. But as I, as when Kenny called, Anthony Brown was finishing up. Oregon's victory over UCLA. They're both Jersey kids. I believe they're both the same class as a fifth year. Anthony obviously went to BC, started for a couple of years, went to Oregon. And uh, Kenny gave me a great quote. He said, there's beauty in the struggle. So he was fired up. He didn't know Anthony Brown won until I told him. He said he grew up with Anthony. He was fired up for him. And 
you know, I wrote this in takeaways on Sunday. They're they're like you look at Chase Bryce, you look at those two veterans at Illinois who look the, there were no Picassos in State College on Saturday. But Brandon Peters and Art Sikowski get to tell their grandkids they walked out of State College with a win, which is which is a pretty cool thing. So there is a value to callousness in college football now. There is a value to adversity. I think Kenny Pickett's record as a starter is twenty-seven and sixteen. Now that's there's a lot of programs where they don't let you lose sixteen games. So credit. I mean, his OC who recruited him was Matt Canada. Matt Canada is now the Steelers' offensive coordinator. So Kenny Pickett's been around for a little while, and he's done a great job developing. Former UMass coach Mark Whipple is the Panthers' OC. Dan, I'm sure you know uh, oh, yeah. Whip from, Coach Whipple from, from winning coach. the national championship at a UMass. No, Whip knows what he's doing, and so. It, look, everybody's if, – if anyone should take solace in what Kenny Pickett did to Clemson on Saturday, it should be DG, DJ Uyunglele because everybody grows at different speeds. It's just not like Chia Pet where you add the water and it grows. So uh, props to Kenny Pickett. He was a joy to talk to the other night, and he'll be a fun guy to watch. And you've got to think at the very least he's you know sitting in that ballroom in New York on uh, on a Saturday night in December. Yeah, that's. I was actually just going to say that 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 DJ Oyungalale should look at Kenny Pickett's kind of career trajectory and say, okay, yeah, all hope is not lost if you're not a superstar as a sophomore. Uh, and by the way, according to Kenny Pickett's rivals page, he was recruited to Pitt by Tim Salem. So the Flat right, Mountain Dew gets it done. Flat Mountain Dew gets it done. But all right, so. Pickett's efficiency ratings, <laughs> freshman year, 126, sophomore year, 120, junior year, 122, fourth year, senior year, 130, this year, 176, 23 touchdowns, one interception. What a huge leap forward he's made. And yeah, that's a great example, I think, for other quarterbacks. A little perseverance, a little patience, uh, keep working on your craft and, and things can happen. All themes we rarely talk about on this podcast. <laughs> Tim Salem's uh, tight tight ends also caught four passes. There so, you go. Good job there. Get that get that broils, Tim. All right, I want to uh, I want to read you what I think will go down into the College Football Hall of Fame. A series of plays that that should get in should go right to it. Like you know when they they ship a baseball or something right to Cooperstown. This should go in the official box score. Uh, here we have uh, T. Warren, pass attempt failed. A. Stakowski, pass attempt fail. A. Stakowski, pass attempt fail. S. Clifford, pass attempt failed. <laughs> N. Kane, rush attempt failed. B. Peters, pass attempt failed. Hold on, I need some water to get through the rest of it. <laughs> so much failure. B. Peters, pass attempt failed. S. Clifford, pass attempt failed. This looks like my sophomore year report card. N. Kane, <laughs> rush attempt failed. Jay McCray, rush attempt failed. Either that or like a bad night for some dude at the, like, at the frat party just trying to hit on girls. Like, nope, another failure for you. Uh, finally, I. Williams, rush attempt successful. Then N. Kane, rush attempt successful. Then S. Clifford, pass attempt failed. And C. Washington, pass attempt successful. Illinois Illini 20, Penn State 18, legendary nine overtime game. What in the God's hell was going on? <laughs> it was horrendous. I mean, <laughs> <clears throat> it was the worst exciting game of all time. I mean, this was terrible. This was so bad. I mean, I think it was 13-13 at the end of regulation, or maybe it was 10-10. <laughs> no, it's 10-10. 10-10 at the end of regulation. So you got that to start with. And then, yeah, they, the, when you go to the third overtime goals. now, yeah, you go to the third overtime now, and this was the solution. And I talked to somebody about this this morning. I was like, how did we end up with this? And <clears throat> the the short answer and the well-intentioned answer is coaches were worried about too many plays and guys getting injured. And you end up, you know, with that Texas A&M LSU seven overtime, you know, where, where you're just playing guys into the ground, basically. So the solution, you know, the old solution was after the second overtime, you everybody's got to go for two, but you keep playing in a normal fashion. Now we have the football equivalent of penalty kicks where you just go for a two-point conversion Every time in the third overtime. I think it's an awful rule. 
I think it's awful. Again, well-intentioned, but very bad execution. Football is a four-down sequence. The entire sport is built around that foundation. Every possession is a four-down sequence. You have to plan how you're going to handle it. You have to plan on fourth down if you don't score make it or you have to figure out a special teams play. You just throw all that out now, and all of a sudden you play one play, then the other team plays one play, and then in the case of this game, where they wanted to go to opposite ends of the field, you walk after two plays to the other end, and then after two more bad plays, you walk to this end, and then after two more bad plays, you go back and forth across the stadium every two plays. It was absurd. So I, I here's what I would like to see. I would like to see them... I don't know why they didn't do this to begin with, but go to the high school rule that has been the high school rule since time immemorial, four plays from the 10. First and goal from the 10, go. It cuts down your number of plays from starting on the 25, but it also does, doesn't does devolve into this gimmickry. Uh, field to goals allowed? Again. Field goals? Yeah, field goals allowed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Four plays from the They'd 10. They'd probably do still be kicking one. field goals right now if that was the... Uh, well, they might be. <laughs> They might be. And if you want to set it up where, okay, after four, then you've got to go for two or whatever, you know, and then if it gets to six overtimes, got, you know, fine, then go to the gimmick, go to the penalty kicks. But, I mean, not this. So I was uh, listening on the radio. There's a really, if you're ever driving on Saturdays, which we are sometimes, the ESPNU radio on uh, Sirius, it's like Channel 84, does a radio version of the Red Zone. And it's quite good. Because you kind of, they're like, we're going to Tallahassee. They're trying to last minute field goal. We're going here. We're going there. And it is fun to hear like the different locals. So <laughs> every time someone was about to take their two point conversion, they would switch to the to that team's home, that team's radio call. So if it was Penn State's turn to take a two, they would go to their call to kind of get the excitement of the announcer's voice on offense to eventually, they assumed, capture the winning call. So you got to hear like this utter exasperation. The Illinois guys, God, this should be the greatest moment in like modern Illinois football history since like Ron Zook got him with the Rose Bowl. And you could just hear him be like, oh. <laughs> 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 oh. And then I'm driving and my Twitter alerts are going off for Pat, who's just like, this is the worst game in the history of college football. <laughs> and then like you have the red zone guy in the studio going back and forth, who's just like pleading for the thing to end. And then they're, the time it takes for them to walk from one end of the field to the other, they're cutting in to, like, let's get a series in Oregon, UCLA, which is started. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just this uh, – now, it was fun to listen to, to Illinois when they, finally, uh, when they finally won. But here's something I found interesting from, from a game that nobody has wanted to, like, erase from their memory banks more. So I was right about in takeaways – and Brandon Peters ends up coming in for Sikowski. And it sounds like Sikowski broke his hand. There was like an air cast or whatever. Two-point conversion passes, I believe, like don't count as official statistics. Does that sound right? right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So Brandon Peters, like I'm looking in the stats to double check, <laughs> and it's like not listed. And then the receiver who caught it, I guess, threw a couple balls or ran a couple, whatever. So he's like, and I'm confused because I'm like, wait a minute. And then I'm reading the AP story, and it's like Brandon Peters came off the bench to throw. And I'm like, so – it is fitting that the final play of that disaster actually does is from a player who gets no statistical credit for contributing to the game. <laughs> All right. So a couple things. One, and we'll just like the failure of Penn State's Penn State's failed two point conversion offense could literally cost James <laughs> Franklin like the, you know, yeah. talk about career, <laughs> career road bumps you didn't see coming. Yeah. Right. Uh, he's off. He's, he's dropped out on the LSU and USC <laughs> list because they couldn't convert a damn two point conversion. Yeah, because their tight end reverse pass to their quarterback, <laughs> which was wide open, was shockingly a terrible pass by a tight end and a poor catch by a quarterback. Imagine, like, damn. Uh, but regardless, you should not be in the ninth overtime against Illinois. Okay, so this has not been a good stretch for Penn State. They are now put into the role of spoiler because they still have Ohio State, Michigan, and they still have Michigan State, three in the next five games, uh, as we head into this uh, crazy burst from late October to late November, this wild five weeks in the Big Ten East. Uh, obviously, Michigan, Michigan State next weekend is set up, two, two 7-0 teams. We will uh, get to that uh, in the middle of the week, as, as one of our games we'll certainly talk about. But Ohio State looked phenomenal last night. Uh, this just crushed Indiana. They looked like what we thought they would, right? 
they are what we thought they would be. To go on this to other parts, Alabama and Georgia both control their own destiny. We mentioned this earlier. Oregon is, I mean, that's a great win at, at UCLA. I don't care what, you know, they, they, UCLA made I a mean, late rally. Oklahoma looked terrible against Kansas, but they won. Cincinnati did not look great against Navy, but they won. Something's got to give here. Someone's coming out of the Big Ten, I would think. I've, we have said all along, we still think probably Ohio State is that team because until you until someone shows me, we're not going to believe it. But a lot, of, a lot of bit where we could still end up with the exact same teams that pretty much the same small pack of teams as we thought. Cincinnati is now the spoiler. Oregon has that advantage over Ohio State in any debate because they beat them heads on. No matter what the committee does, I mean, they would really have to twist themselves into some crazy logic like the fourth string uh, Sam linebacker. Uh, is better at Ohio State to put a team that that lost to a team at home. But very interesting where this is all going is chalk rising to the top here. Well, yes, I mean, it, it is. But to me, I mean, like I had to do our top 10 Saturday night and I had a very hard time ranking two through seven. I, I really struggled. Georgia, number one, absolutely fine. But then Michigan, Michigan State, uh, Alabama, Ohio State, Oregon, Cincinnati. That that's my next group. And you got Oklahoma out of that group? Hell yes, I've got Oklahoma out of that group. What has Oklahoma done? What has Oklahoma done to possibly be considered in the uh, with those teams? In my opinion, they have won all their games. They have been unimpressive in every single one of them, except <laughs> maybe TCU. They were f- behind ten nothing to Kansas. They were shut out in the first half by the 129th team out of 130 in scoring defense. I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine a 13 and 0 Oklahoma Sooners not getting into that playoff? Yes. <laughs> if I'm on the committee, <laughs> if you're on the committee, if you're on the committee, yeah. I, well, how about this for the fourth spot? Undefeated Oklahoma versus undefeated Cincinnati. Cincinnati. I mean, I we'll don't see. think it's close. Yeah, well, I agree let totally. It, let, we'll let it play yeah. out. But yeah. Oklahoma's got a bunch of tough games that I have. They, they could lose twice in the regular season. Like, they, they what do they have? Could. Iowa State, Baylor. Oh, they, got, they got Texas. I'm looking at the schedule. They got oh, Texas, Texas Tech. Tech this weekend. Who's no good? They'll beat that's win right. that game. That's, then the the other, fin- that's the other ramp up game. Right. Yeah. The final three at Baylor, Iowa State, at Oklahoma State. And then they'll play a Big 12 championship game. But here's what they've done to get to this point. Beat Tulane by five. Tulane is terrible. Beat FCS Western Carolina. Nobody cares. Beat Nebraska by seven. Nebraska is terrible. Beat West Virginia by three. West Virginia is terrible. Beat Kansas State by six. Kansas State's mediocre. Beat Texas by seven after trailing by 21. Nice comeback. Texas is mediocre. Beat TCU by 21. Okay, that's your big impressive win. Woo! Beat Kansas, the worst Power 5 team in the nation, by 12 after coming back and after your quarterback was smart enough to steal the ball from your running back to keep them turning it over to them on their on your side of the 50 with less than five minutes to play. What's to love? The laundry, that's it. Well, yeah. Well, have you seen the committee? Yeah. <laughs> Pat's I looking am. for some sort of like uh, like Monster Energy Drink NIL deal this morning. Like it's, He's fired it's up. A, it's 11 a.m. Like I'm barely my is, eyes this, open. This Oklahoma thing just has killed me all year. It's like do <laughs> something to impress somebody before everybody puts you in the top five. Uh, they're Oklahoma, Pat. That's it. Mm-hmm. Clearly, you know how this works. It. You know how this thing yeah. Possibly I have the reason that Pat is so fired up today, and it, it leads us to a people's court. Because maybe this is what Pat had for breakfast. The immortal Pop-Tart. I know we're all familiar with the uh, the, the the frozen pastry. Or is it not frozen? It's just... No, no you just, just pull it out of the box and unwrap <laughs> yeah. it. It's probably been on the shelf since 1987. <laughs> Oddly preserved like without... foil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Preserves without refrigeration forever. <laughs> Should be clue number one. Uh, something's up. A class action lawsuit has been filed in the Southern District of Illinois for all of us, all the Pop-Tart eaters in the world, which I think in America, I think everyone has had a Pop-Tart at some point in their life. They've had one Pop, (laughs) at least one Pop-Tart. I mean, 
This thing's just everywhere. Okay. Even I'm not Pete's saying, had Pop Tarts. Everyone's right? had Oh no, I had Pop Tarts growing up a lot. I have Everybody not had one in a very long time, though. The Pop Tarts. All right. Well, here we are. Uh, we're all involved in this lawsuit. Uh, you're going to have to recuse yourself, but will people score it? The, the lawsuit argues that uh, the Kellogg's uh, Corporation is uh, using deceptive marketing uh, because it's uh, strawberry filling, the fruit filling on the strawberry, only the strawberry. So if you've had the others, I guess you're not in the, in the if you're just eating the like cinnamon one or whatever, the strawberry fruit filling contains, quote, a greater relative and absolute amount of strawberries than it actually does. <laughs> Okay, so by calling it the strawberry Pop-Tart, the frosted strawberry toaster pastry is the official term used in this litigation. Uh, you are They are overstating the actual strawberries involved. Uh, and actually, less than 2% of the filling is dried strawberries, dried pears, and dried apples, which are mixed together. And then they use something called Red 40 to make it look like a strawberry. So there's very little... <laughs> The Pop-Tart does not provide, quote, a true strawberry taste. They sit on and a throne over- of lies. They, <laughs> they do. A throne of lies. Whether to- a toaster pastry contains only strawberries or merely some strawberries is a basic front-label information consumers rely on when making decisions at the grocery store. This is a real lawsuit. <laughs> strawberries are the product's characterizing ingredient. Consumers believe they are present in an amount greater than in this case. Pat, is there a case? Are we being cheated and lied to those who are looking for their fruit, their <laughs> daily fruit intake from the <laughs> strawberry frosted Pop-Tart? I mean, as someone who, for my entire life, my go-to Pop-Tart was the strawberry Pop-Tart. <laughs> this is very disconcerting. <laughs> I may need a, I may need a minute here. <laughs> I may need a minute. I feel like my entire life has been fraudulent. I've been Completely <laughs> defrauded by Kellogg's. Unbelievable. I think we go to war over this. Tell me, sign me up, man. I, I'm, I am totally in on the war on Kellogg's or whoever's <laughs> in charge of the Pop-Tarts. And, and they're, they're telling me I'm eating strawberries and I'm instead eating apples. Come on. There are some smaller amount than they, they make you think because they're not mentioning the dried apples or dried pears. I want, I want my strawberry Pop-Tart to be a strawberry Pop-Tart. <laughs> All right. If you go to Pop-Tarts for your fruit intake, you're also going to Subway <laughs> to get rare grade tuna. So you deserve <laughs> the fate you're getting. So I have I, I do no pity on the good people in Southern Illinois for not getting the fruit they desire. Go to the market, buy a basket of strawberries, wash them, eat them. <laughs> it's really not hard to get a strawberry. Yeah. Uh, no. I always, I, I, even as a young kid, I, I, you know what they would be like part of a nutritious breakfast, right? <laughs> and and that commercial oh, and yeah. in the corner, they'd show the pop tart or the bowl of like Captain Crunch. And then they'd be like fruit and like, veg- <laughs> like all eggs, all the other part. It's like anything is part of a nutritious breakfast. <laughs> if the other breakfast part of the breakfast is nutritious. <laughs> I mean, you could. So I don't know. I, I mean, look, if I make a buck off it, let's go. I got a hard time on this one. I, I really think you got to be pretty damn stupid to think you're really getting a lot of strawberry out of the uh, out of the strawberry pop tart. Sorry. I mean, going back to my you know grade school days, now I've been lied to by Kellogg's. It's incredible. Big pop, big pop tart has been lying to big you. Big pop tart. Big pop tart has been lying. To That's you. your fault for talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> it takes two to lie. Homer Simpson said, "One to lie and one to listen." Take a deep look in the mirror. You've been listening. <laughs> It sounds like life lessons from your dad, the principal, right? You know? <laughs> All right. Before we get to the uh, the end of the show, we want to have a plea right now to the college game day people, the folks that pick the college game. Stop going we know to they listen. Georgia. We know they're listening no. to. Stop going to Georgia. You guys got to get creative, and we have a game for you. All right, two weeks. Not this weekend. Where do they go? Michigan, Michigan State this weekend, probably, or something like that. I don't know. Or the big with the big noon show or whatever that thing is. Fox's big show with the, all the guys with the exact same uh, jacket. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at that show. I'm like, every guy's every guy's the same wardrobe. Like, come on. They even got Bob Stoops wearing those like plaid crazy jackets, like because he's got to try to look young with the other guys. Um, I miss Urban so on that should, show. 
He's a lot of flaws, but he was really good on that show. All they, no, they just need Reggie Bush is the only interesting one. Just have Reggie. Like, why do you, this is like, the, it's like the NFL creep into the college game. Like, why do we need seven guys up there? Right. Like, we have two I think Brady Quinn's really good, too. I think Brady's Brady Quinn good. is good. He is yeah, good. Well, then have Brady good. Quinn and, and have Brady, they're all good, but it's like, you don't need that many dudes. I'd rather see what Reggie Bush has to say. You know, like, uh, it's too many guys, too many people. Anyway. You got, I should say something nice. So you go to the game. UTSA, San Antonio, 8 0. They trucked La Tech. They are not playing this week. In two weeks, they visit UTEP, who plays FAU, but is 6 1, could be 7 1. The Sun Bowl is one of the great stadiums in college football. I will stand to it. I wish more people went. When it's, if it was ever full, it's incredible. The thing is chucked right in this mountain right in the Franklin Mountains, uh, literally built into it. At night, you get this great view right over Juarez, Mexico. Incredible place to watch a game. Conference USA needs some pub. This is a great place. I don't think game day's ever been there. Why would you? UTEP's playing well. Give us San Antonio versus UTEP in two weeks, and El Paso better turn out. So I'm I'm plugging you. Come on now. Oh, it'd be a lot of fun. It'd be great. I, you know, as... As uh, devout uh, supporters of people outside of the blue blood establishment getting at least a little bit of love from this ridiculously hierarchical sport, I would love to see it. And it is a cool place, very scenic. They would roll out the carpet. Uh, why not? It would be a lot of fun. If the, you know, They've gone to North Dakota State. They've been up there multiple times to Fargo. Go to El Paso. I don't know what else. There, there, there really would. isn't anywhere else for them to go that week. I mean, it is it is a... It is a dog, dog week. The only inter-top 20 game is Auburn at Texas A&M, which is not particularly interesting to anybody. LSU-Alabama is probably where they'll end up because I don't believe they've been to Alabama this year. Is that right? I think you're right. Yeah. I don't think Alabama's really had like that thumper uh, thumper kind of game uh, yet. And yeah, I mean... <laughs> Like, I, 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 hey, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, but there really isn't a, there really isn't a time. Maybe we can get them to Wake Forest for one of their, uh, for one of their later, uh, for one of their later home games here. Um, this so is the, the week. Th- those are always fun when they go to places where that, that are, that are non, uh, that, that are non-traditional. Yeah, yeah. this is a legit game. This is a legit game. It's not like totally, you know, legit game. Alabama is hosted 16 times game day. Second most of all time. Who's number one? A little trivia. Aflac trivia right here. Ohio State. Ding, ding, ding. Got it. Florida and LSU each have 13. Alabama and Ohio State tied for 50 appearances. I mean, it's just another game at Alabama. This is a big chance for, and it'd be great for San Antonio, which is doing, uh, having an amazing season. So let's do it. Set it up. All right. Time to award the Heisman out. We don't wait to the end of the year. We give it small sample every week. Hello, small sample Heisman. How about that? I'm giving my small sample Heisman to quarterback of an undefeated team that's not getting a lot of attention, uh, but is rolling along quite nicely, setting up a potential big game later. That's Tanner Mordecai of SMU, Oklahoma transfer, one of many Oklahoma diaspora quarterbacks who uh, left when he wasn't going to get the playing time there. And he's been phenomenal at SMU, stepping into Sonny Dykes' very quarterback-friendly system. Uh, Friday night against Tulane, 30 of 42 for 427 yards, three touchdowns. He's thrown 29 TDs on the season, which I believe leads the nation and sets them up rather nicely. Yeah, tied for first in the nation, 29 TDs, sets them up, keeps them on track, I guess I would say, for a potential whopper game with Cincinnati at Nippert Stadium. November 20th. So Tanner Mordecai, small sample Heisman. Did you cut a deal with the Princeton Review Pad that every week you're going to use some really bizarre vocabulary world that people are going to marvel about on Twitter <laughs> after the pod? What was the one last week, Sully, that you had to look up? Australopithecus. It was the, you know, the form Thank of you. early man on you know, the evolutionary chart. Come on, man. Let's go. We're not, this is not just a, you know, Luddite, mouth-breathing, <laughs> knuckle-dragging podcast. We like to lift it up. It's not. Discourse on I try my best. I try my best. <laughs> 
I am going to uh, keep it monosyllabic and take Chase Bryce, um, the quarterback at App State. <laughs> you may remember Chase Bryce from being recruited to Clemson. You may remember Chase Bryce from flopping famously at Duke. And I feel great that Chase Bryce has gone to App State and really just crushed it this season. He was the hero in the upset of Coastal Carolina on Wednesday night, which we all watched every single snap of. He had 347 passing yards against Coastal. He had two touchdowns. Chase Bryce has really settled in and uh, and, and found a home. Uh, Frank Ponce, offensive coordinator there, has done what David Cutcliffe could not do. It's, it's gotten consistent and accurate production out of Chase Bryce. If he wasn't the country's leader in interceptions last year, he was, he was darn close to it. Well, this year he's got 10 TD passes. He's only got five picks. He's got a big arm and he's a talented guy. Last season, he had 15 interceptions. So good for Chase Bryce. We're going, bouncing around, finding the right spot, figuring it out. He's got great receivers at App State too. Uh, Thomas Hennigan being, uh, being one of them there. It was nice to see Boone rocking on Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Awesome. That was an awesome scene. That was great. Great. That was a great game. Uh, great storming of the field. All of that. All right. I am going to give my small sample Heisman to Nick Skiba. Nick Skiba. Who the hell is Nick Skiba? He's the kicker at Wake Forest. 10 extra points attempted, 10 made. This is a team <laughs> award, baby. Wake Forest offense scored 70 points. 70 points and had the time of possession of 17 minutes and 17 seconds against Army. 70. They scored, they had 10 offensive possessions. They score on nine of them. There was also an 83-yard interception return. They averaged 12.3 yards a play. You're going to win if you're averaging 12.3 yards a play. Sam Hartman, 458 uh, yards. There was seven different Demon Deacon scored touchdowns, including the receiver that had three. There were no punts. Pour one out. Pour one out for Kirk Ferentz. There were no punts. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. 70 points, no turnovers, 638 yards offense. I know it was against Army, but I don't care. That is some explosive offense they got going down to Wake Forest. If you if you live in that area, even if you're not a Wake fan, I mean, that is a fun team to watch. I mean, this is a fun team. So I know Wake doesn't dominate with fans and all most of the fans in Winston-Salem are still Carolina fans, but man, pretty good. Wake is rolling along. It's going to be real interesting. They could win, they could go unbeaten in the ACC and have no one respect them. It's a major conference. Like you, you talked earlier, Pat, why is Oklahoma getting all the hype and not Wake Forest? Wake Forest hell of a lot more impressive than Oklahoma. It's all Jersey. So this is what the committee is supposed to be able to cut through, the bias and the name brand and all that. Will they when these rankings come out? When's the first rankings? Two weeks? Uh, next week. Next week. Will yep. they? Very, very interesting. All right. We uh, we said a lot of mean things on the podcast. Can we say something nice? It's a, it's, it's a challenge for us. Uh, we don't often we don't often measure up to, but let's check it out. Pat, can you say something nice? I can, but first let me say something mean before I get to something of nice. Course. Because, uh, of yes, course. Too much to ask. Uh, just to circle back to an earlier point that you made, Dan, that makes sense to me, but not to the poll voters, is that Oregon, with the same record as Ohio State, should be ranked ahead of them, having beat them on their own home field. No, they're five spots behind them, because that's how the polls work, because Ohio State is a bigger brand than Oregon. So now to say something nice, uh, let's go to the Palouse and Washington State, which was thrown into complete disarray last Monday when Nick Rolovich and four assistant coaches were fired for not complying with the vaccine mandate in the state and at the state university, which employs them. All of a sudden, you're going up against BYU with half of your coaching staff gone. They piece things together, put the staff together on the fly. Everybody's got new assignments. You go out there, and they hung tough. They really did. And that does pain me that BYU's safety dropped two interceptions on one possession, or they might have covered, and my picks would be would have been better than four and two. I would have been five and one. But I got to give credit to Washington State. In it to the very end, lost by two points there. And interim coach uh, Jake Dickert, uh, just I watched a fair amount of the fourth quarter of the game, and he was super composed on the sideline. Didn't have any deer in the headlights look at all. Uh, when they needed to go for two at the end, it wasn't like, oh, oh, yeah, we need to go for two. There's some players from the PAT team that were running out. He's pulling them back personally, like, no, we're going for two here. 
So I was impressed by what he did in a new role uh, and impressed by the Cougars rallying around each other and playing a, a solid game against BYU. BYU now has four wins against the Pac-12, which is the most wins, including all of the members of the Pac-12. <laughs> Nobody has more than three league wins in the Pac-12. BYU has four. Thought, thought I'd mention that. Pete, can you say something nice? I'm going to say something nice about Syracuse tailback Sean Tucker, who is the ACC's best running back. He led the Orange, as he does, because he is pretty much the entirety of their offense other than running quarterback Garrett Schrader, with 112 rushing yards, one TD on 20 carries against Virginia Tech. Schrader had 174 yards on, on 22 carries in, in, in three TDs. The Orange had lost essentially three straight games on last-second field goals. Tucker already has more than 1,000 yards. I saw a line from uh, one of the reporters up in Syracuse, Brent Axe, this week that Sean Tucker is the best tailback at Syracuse since Joe Morris, which is pretty good because there's been some decent tailbacks who've rolled through there. So credit Sean Tucker for, for rolling through and essentially changing Syracuse's offensive identity. They'd been this like Baylor hybrid, up-tempo, vertical pass, pass, pass. Now they are a power run program and they're doing it okay and give them a lot of credit. They reshaped their offensive line this season and Sean Tucker is, uh, is, is one of the most fun players to watch that I've seen in college football this year. All right, I'm gonna. I was gonna say something nice about this Tennessee fan that got caught uh, on camera <laughs> at the, saying "WTF" during the Alabama game because he was, for reasons we do not yet know, uh, holding a single cowboy boot <laughs> up in the air. Someone from the athletic is finding him right now to get the. Football. I hope so. <laughs> Rest assured. Holding I the cowboy the ups, upside down in the air. Upside I, I down. Any significance was he, there? Was he wearing? I hope he had a flask in there. I was just trying to yeah. jimmy it out. Was he drinking out of it was my guess. I don't know. Anyway, I, 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 a tip of the cap to that right there, a tip of the boot. But uh, I'm going to say something nice about uh, Iowa State wide receiver Xavier Hutchinson. Oh, had, I'm so glad you brought that up. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's a shame we haven't talked about that yet. Good call. Absolutely incredible uh, catch and run against, uh, against uh, Oklahoma State. He does a single high step. Uh, and glanced over his shoulder, slowed down a little bit, and took kind of a kind of a high step, a glider step, I don't know what, into the end zone. And and some parsnickety ref obsessed with sportsmanship, sportsmanship, throws a flag on it and makes it get called back uh, instead of just letting the kids celebrate an incredible play. But the beauty was three plays later, he catches another touchdown. So it doesn't matter what you do, Mr. Ref. All you did was increase our time of possession. And he scores the touchdown anyway. And then by getting flagged, his play has been shown everywhere, right? It's like he's literally on every newscast in the country. Of like, look how great this is and how dumb the ref is. Uh, so he actually got more hype for it. So it worked out. Uh, and really, Iowa State, good for them. Uh, this was turning into a potential nightmare season. Obviously, this is not what they were hoping for, be top 10. Uh, but they beat Oklahoma State 24-21 at home. They still only have one loss in the league. They still got Oklahoma ahead of them. There's a lot of possibilities for the Cyclones. Uh, I'm not going to blame Xavier for the uh, for the for the, the Iowa uh, tap water, the Hooray Ames song, <laughs> and everyone moving away after saying they would never move, and this is the greatest place. I'm not going to blame him for that. So congratulations, Xavier. Drink up, drink that water, get to the get to the water fountain, get to your sink and your, wherever you're living. Guzzle it up, buddy. Great job. Hooray, Ames. They're back. I'm back. The first... I'm back. I'm tell I'm, I, I banned them earlier in the year. I'm like Pat's Knoxville radio band. It didn't really last. I'm, starting to, I'm wobbly. Uh, that's the first time you have ever uh, advocated for guzzling anything non-alcoholic. Yeah, that's how happy I am for this kid. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can find the radio call from Iowa State, it was incredible. They named the field judge and called him a loser. <laughs> <laughs> and and they called it the worst call in NCAA history. They were like, it was classic. Like, oh, it was classic local radio. I loved it. Loved every second of it. They were pissed. <laughs> worst call in NCAA history. <laughs> Loser. And they were like, I forget the guy's name. They were like, and that was field judge Joe Jones, that loser through the flag. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a bad call. We don't need to do that. Because then the fans, like, they start, like, 
The poor guy's yeah. got like a like a plumbing supply business and like, <laughs> yeah. you know, right? Texarkana Negative Yelp and then everyone, reviews. Yeah, the Yelp review, the poor guy. I mean, we well, don't need the to do Kentucky that. Kentucky basketball okay. fan play, yeah. Yeah, right. It's everybody makes mistakes. It's fine. We don't need to name, uh, you know, they didn't shame them. Bad call, but redemption. Redemption. So that's where we're at. Uh, all right, we'll be back midweek. Uh, big weekend coming up with a uh, number of good games. Please continue to uh, listen, subscribe, tell your friends about us, share us on social media. Send us bizarre stories. We appreciate it. It's really wild. All the, uh, all the, uh, the interaction is pretty fun. So we're we're enjoying it. Hope you're enjoying the season as we head to the last week of October. Talk to you later. <laughs>